Thank you. Well, good morning. I am Daniel by one of the pastors, and it's my joy to welcome you again at our Lent season journey. And we are journeying towards Easter. We are moving every Sunday closer to Easter. And we look at the questions that Jesus asked, or people asked, in the last, in the last week of Jesus' life. And this morning we are going to look at the question, are you asleep? Is a question that Jesus is asking the disciples. And they are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus wants to uh, pray with them. And yet they fall. They fall asleep. And the story comes from Matthew 26. And it's a beautiful story about one of the most precious, important key moments in the life of Christ. And maybe you remember uh, a painting or a story, but it's, it's that moment when Jesus is arguing or fighting and wrestling with his human nature, with his humanity that is trying to reject the cup that the Lord is putting before him. And in those critical moments, he basically says, I need some help. I need some help. And maybe the theme of this, of this uh, story is what do we do when we face the biggest difficulties in our lives? What do we do? Who do we turn to? And um, it's very important to look at the setting of this story because it starts earlier, the story starts earlier. In the same night, Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room. He gave them the Lord's Supper and he starts to teach them a few things. And he mentions to them that one of you will betray me tonight. And all of them start to swear and say, Lord, is it me? I promise I will, I will be faithful to you even if I have to die. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, don't say that because you will deny me three times. You will deny me three times tonight. tonight. And then he starts to say, you know, the Son of Man is going to die. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be... Uh, from now on, he's not going to be free, he's going to be captive, and he's going to be put to death. And then finally, Jesus goes to this garden of Gethsemane with them. He leaves the city of Jerusalem, he leaves the upper room, walks through the valley, goes up on the mountain. And it looks, in other gospel, it says that it was a place where he commonly or customarily it was his custom to take his disciple in this place. Some of the gospel writers are even more precise that it was a place they usually went to. And some people said maybe it was a private property that Jesus or somebody in his entourage had. And they went to this garden where it should have been beautiful, right? The Garden of Gethsemane. But just think about what happens there. And in Jesus' life, if you think this garden has a key place... If you think of, of events or moments that shaped his life, you have, first of all, we have the wilderness where he had a temptation. The devil comes to him. He's fighting with the devil, tempting him to drop the plan of salvation to say, hey, you don't need to go to the cross. Then you have the garden where is this spiritual and internal anguish and agony, the pressure, the pressure that is on his soul to say yes to this cup that God offers him. And then finally, you have the cross where his body is put to death and Christ dies on the cross, this horrible death on our behalf. 
But when you think of this garden, just think of the garden. Sometimes we misunderstand or we miss the portion that is so important. And Robinson points this out along many others. But basically he says this. If you think of the garden, think of this. Make sure you don't miss this. Because we often think that prayer is the prelude in the garden. The prayer in the garden is the prelude to the real action of the story. We think that this prayer is just taking a little space in his life. And it's just it's not the real thing, but the real thing starts from his arrest, from going to uh, the high priest in the temple, from being whipped by the Romans and then mocked and beaten and crucified. But what we can miss is that for Jesus, this prayer time in the garden, it was the real battle. The prayer is not just a prelude to the real action. The real action follows this battle, and prayer is the battleground. Here in prayer, his sweat becomes like drops of blood. Here is the agony of his soul. Here is the battle. Here is that crushing, that crashing, crushing reality that he's going to take upon himself the sin of the world. So prayer is the real story. It's not just the prelude, you know. But think of it of it, the garden a beautiful place where this agony takes place. The Garden of Gethsemane, where Gethsemane, in fact, means the place where the olives are crushed and made into oil. It should be a beautiful place, right? With trees, with, with fruits, with smell of olive oil. But here in this Garden of Gethsemane, the olives, the olives receive this weight. It's like an olive mill. This huge stone comes upon them and crushes them. And the olives that are ripe and nice and beautiful to look at, they become just waste because they are crushed to the point that oil comes out of them. We look at a bottle of oil, olive oil, and we say, you know, it's like maybe the best one, extra virgin olive oil is 5 or, or maybe $8. So how much did you pay for it? Maybe $8. For the most refined olive oil. But think of the oil, the olive that brought that oil. The olive is gone. The olive gave everything. She was crushed. That piece of fruit, it was completely destroyed. So that we can enjoy that olive oil. And that's where Jesus goes. He goes into this garden where things are crushed. So that we can have this oil that will anoint us and will bring our atonement. And Jesus' soul is like that olive. He is crushed under under that heavy burden of the world's sin. God says that he who know that what we sing, right? He who knew no sin, he who was completely innocent, he who knew no sin, he became sin. For us, so that we might become God's righteousness. And like Jesus, we too go to trials. Like Jesus, when we think that things are beautiful, or things should be beautiful, life should be beautiful, we get crushed. And things can crush us. We face trials in our lives, and many times we have losses that devastate us. Some of you may have lost a loved one. A father or somebody close, a mother. 
like we have this morning, and Pastor Ron announced, so many families now losing things. Maybe you lost a loved one, a child like the Oscams. And we say, what's going on, Lord? These are devastating losses for us and for our faith. And some of us might have betrayals that hurt us. We go to betrayals, impossible things. We say, I thought that this friend of mine is trustworthy. I confided. I put my life in, in their hands, and look what they did. They betrayed my trust. And we have overwhelming temptations. Often we say, no, I can take just one glass and then stop. I am so strong that I can, I, I can go as close to falling off the cliff and I will just stop. And we often f- find out that, no, we fall into temptation. We are not that strong. We make the next click that we shouldn't make. We see the next things. We think the next thought. We do the next action that makes temptation into sin and pull us from God's hands into despair of the bondage of sin. And all of these are challenges that test our faith, and it will test our faith, and will try to pull us from God's love, from that connection that we have. And that's why Paul says in Romans that there are forces, there are powers in this earth, under, in, the, in the spiritual world, in the physical world, there are forces, there are disasters that try to pull us away from God's love. And Paul says, make sure you remember that there is something stronger than anything else, and that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. But often we are tempted to crush under the burdens of life, the temptation, the challenges. I just want to um, have you think of a bridge. You know, a bridge is something that has to hold on a lot of weight. In 2007, there was this powerful, steel-made bridge in Minneapolis. And nobody thought that it will, it will collapse. And one day, suddenly, it almost had 150 cars on it. And it just collapsed. It collapsed into, into abyss, into, into the river. Cars disappeared. People disappeared. And there was no sign of it. It was just too much pressure on it. And sometimes we too, we go through life, and nobody knows that we are crushed. And we say, Lord, if there is one more straw... That's why we say the last straw. Lord, if there is one more car, one more truck, if there is one more pressure that comes, I'm going to crack. And we come to church and we say, we say here in the church, we say, good morning, how are you doing? And we smile, we put a good face. We hug people, we greet them. But inside we are crushing. Our world is crushing. Our soul is in agony, in pain. And we are afraid that like this bridge, one day we are going to crack and collapse and give way. We say we cannot take it anymore. We cannot take it anymore longer. So this morning I want you to point to Jesus. There is somebody who also was in a moment like this, critical moment in his life. So the question will be, what was Jesus doing when he faced the biggest difficulties in his life. What was he doing? And I want us to learn from him. The first thing he did is he gathered, he reached out to his friends. He made sure that he has friends that surround him. And this is what the text says. And maybe you remember, maybe you remember a lot of the things that, uh, that Jesus did, he did with his friends, with his disciples. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. 
And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of that. Stay here and keep watch with me. He recognized that there is something in his human soul, right? In his human soul that is overwhelmed to the point of death. Filled with sorrow. With pain. He knew exactly what's coming. But my friends, if Jesus needs friends, right? If Jesus needed friends, if he reached out to friends, then we need too. Then so do we. We are people that need friends. And if you think of friends here, I think different levels of friendships, right? The friends that you can gather and the first one, maybe the first this one, is associates. They are friends just because you have common enemies. You have the same enemies. You hate the same things, you know. And they are with you, but they are not there for you. They are there because you have common enemies. And your enemies are my enemies, therefore you are my friend, right? And, and they go as long as you stick with the same enemies. Then you have maybe colleagues, people that you work with, people that you have the same purpose, goals, because they love your causes. They are not there for you, but they are there for the company. They are there for the institution. They are there because you go into the same direction. It can be a team that you support. It can be a political cause. It can be you want clean water or whatever it is. They are there because you want the same thing. And finally, they are those best friends that they are there because they love you. Their purpose is to be there for you. You can confine, you can trust your life into their hands. They will be there for you day and night, 24-7. These are people that you can say, I can tell you the deepest secrets of my life and I can trust you. And there are not many friends like that. But if you have one, two, three of them, that will be an amazing thing. You see, Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them already left, Judas. Now they are 11. He leaves the eight of them by the door in Gethsemane, by the gate. And then he takes three of them, the intimate friends, Peter, James, and John. They already had some experiences, intimate experiences. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? There were only these three of them. And Jesus pulls them closer and says, stay here with me. And he goes at the throne away, a little bit further away from them. And Jesus says, I need these friends to be with me in this time. And the truth is that we need this type of friends. We always need these friends that pray for us, that stay with us. And we need them to support us, but it's not enough. Jesus is doing a second thing, and he prays. You see, it's not enough that your friends are praying. If they are praying for you, they are, that's wonderful. But you need something else. You need to pray yourself. And maybe you remember this famous kind of position of Jesus kneeling and praying to the Father, Father, if it is possible for you to take this cup away from me. And there are many, many paintings like this. But this is what happens when, when Jesus is with his friends. He says, you stay closer to me, the three of you, and I will go here at a, at a stone throw away from you. And let me pray. And then he says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus cannot make it through. He cannot make it through the pains of life without prayer. Sorry for that. 
you say, the, the pains of life. He needs to pray. He needs, he needs to stay in prayer even if he is the son of God. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows where Judas is. He knows that the soldiers from the temple, the temple guards are coming. He knows exactly, and yet he still needs this prayer time. We need to know that we cannot make it through the difficulties of life without prayer. I like what one of the reformers, Martin Luther, and this year we celebrate 500 years from when he started the Reformation. And he said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. If you do not pray, he basically says you cannot be a Christian. A Christian is a person that prays. That's a sign that you are alive to God. That you are in touch with God. And sometimes we are like the disciples, tired, right, in the night. And Luther said, I used to pray in the morning. And he says, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours of the day in prayer. Here at Hillside, we also try, we also try hard to pray. We also try hard to encourage the ministry of prayer. And if you know, everyone, everyone at Hillside, even the visitors that are regular, they have a shepherd leader that is praying for them. And make sure when they connect with you that you respond. You tell them, pray for me, sustain, sustain me, and stay with me in this trial. Then I will say, let the prayer team, we have a prayer team, pray with you. When we announce that there are prayer cards in front of your seats, make sure you use them. And should you desire to come and pray Wednesday at 9 o'clock, they will pray for you here. Pray with you. They will stand in prayer with you. It's a beautiful thing to see somebody that needs prayer to come and say, pray for me. But then also I encourage you to keep praying. Take the needs. In, in the bulletin you have the needs that we pray for. Take the needs and pray for those people. Say a prayer for them regularly. Especially when we mention them in that prayer or maybe make sure you subscribe to the prayer line and you get the updates for prayer. But we need to pray for one another. What's interesting is the prayer of Jesus is not something totally new. In fact, in fact, there are three echoes from the Lord's Prayer in the prayer of Jesus. He's basically telling us, pray like I pray, right? Earlier in chapter 6, he says, this is how you should pray. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And now in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying the same thing. So these are the first echoes. My Father, he addresses God with my Father. In our prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we are told to do our Father in heaven. It is that relationship with God that is prayer. Prayer means that we come to somebody with whom we have a relationship. Children and Father. Son and Father. He is the Logos. He is the one that Jesus was present in the beginning at the creation of everything. He was with the Father. And when the Father said, let us create man according to our image, he was there. Up in heaven, in eternity, when, when God asked, who will go for these people? And who will go to sacrifice? He said, here I am. Send me. He is the firstborn of all creation. The bright morning star. He is the one that holds everything together. And the Bible tells us that he is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. And right now, he is the one, the lamb of God, who takes away upon his shoulders the sin of the world. So he goes to his father as equal. And as he says, my father, that's what we need to do in prayer. My father, the second thing is, he says, if it is possible, 
In another gospel, he says, Father, my Father, with you all things are possible. But then he says, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. That's what he says. This cup is the sin of the world. Is every evil thing imaginable. Every violent killing. Every abuse. Every rape. Everything that we as humanity did. He had to drink this poisonous cup. Nobody could take it. Nobody could drink it because it will crush everybody. The burden, the burden was too heavy. Everybody will crush under the pressure. And yet Jesus says, as a human, as a human being too, he was 100% man, but also 100% God. And as he said, as a, in his humanity, he said, can you take, is it, is it another way that you can solve this problem with humanity than me drinking this poison right now? And that's why we pray in the prayer, deliver us from evil. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because we are weak and we can fall into temptation. And finally, Jesus says, but not my will, Father, but your will. What do we pray? In our prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. It is that alignment of, of the hour hand with the minute hand. When they become one. Often in our life, we say, Lord, why do you pull us? Why do you, why do you go first and then you tell us what you did? Because often... Our will and God's will are not aligned. Many times God decides for us things that we do not like. We will never do, decide and do those things. But He is God. He is the Father. And that's what Jesus says too. In the end, it's not about my will. Yes, my will, my human will says, I do not want this to happen. I do not want separation. I do not want sin to come between us. But Father, in the end, it is your will. Your will be done. And that's why we pray too. So Jesus prays and submits like we should through the Lord's Prayer to the Father. But the third thing is he knows that we fail, you know. He, he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour, one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. But when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he turned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping? Are you asleep? And resting, look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Jesus knew exactly that we are going to fail him. He knew that the disciples were not ready for what is to come. They were there with him, but they were tired. It was a long week, stressful week for them. Long night. They had a supper, they were full. They walk outside the city. They have a night walk. They are in the garden. And they are sitting down and they fall asleep so easily, right? And when the temptation comes, they resort to violence. Peter immediately takes the sword and starts to cut people. Because they are not ready. They do not fight in the battleground of prayer like Jesus. And when push comes to shove, they, they abandon him. They run away. One of them even runs away naked. Just to get away from Jesus. And the truth is that we too fail, Jesus. 
How many times we have failed because we haven't prayed? If you think that prayer makes a difference, just think how much of a difference it would have made into the life of the disciples. Maybe they prayed the first five minutes and then they fell asleep the next 55 minutes. But just think how much we could have gained by praying. We've given into temptation maybe many times because we haven't prayed. Look back into your life. Maybe we, we, we've not put our lives into the lives of the Father. We failed because we didn't trust the Father. We trusted our strength, our powers. We've never trusted the Father and we never came to Him to draw strength from Him. And that's what prayer does. It's not something magic. It's just saying, Lord, I have my will, but in the end I want your will. Father, I know that you love me more than anybody else. And I'm your child. I I put my destiny into your hands. Whatever comes my way, I know that you will be with me and your love will never leave me. You will never forsake me. And what's interesting is, and the good news is that even when we fail, Jesus still wants us. These are beautiful words. He comes to them. They are sleeping. and, And he basically says, rise, wake up. Let us go. Here comes the betrayer. Rise. And I'm not sure where you are, but if you are asleep, are you asleep this morning? If you are asleep, he says to us, rise, wake up, let us go. It is not too late to go. And he goes with them together. They are not ready, but he takes them and involves them in ministry. And that's the good news. The good news is that our failure is not the end of the story. Jesus still wants us even when we fail. He uses us even with our imperfections, with being tired, with being unable to stay awake, to pray as we should. We try many times. We try to do our best, but we often don't get it right. We fail. We don't love the way we should love. We don't sacrifice. We are not as generous. We are not as gentle. We do not respond in kindness. Instead of being humble, we are so many times full of pride. But Jesus picks us up and he says, let us go. I want you to know that you can do ministry through the power of my spirit. Even when you fail, I will pick you up. I'm not abandoned. He could have just said, you know what? You are asleep. I'm just going to leave. Leave you sleep on. And I'm going to leave and do my ministry without you. But no, he comes back and says, rise. Let us go. Get up. Let us go. And that's what Jesus tells us this morning. Rise. Join me in my ministry. Are you asleep? He says this morning, you need good praying friends. Make sure that you remember that. Make sure that you tell some friends to pray for you. Sometimes I even have to call back home and say to my people there that pray, I say, can you pray for this? And especially this past week, I did call several times. I said, this is why we need to pray. This is heavy on us. This is pressure. And make sure that you remember to pray yourself too. We need to give ourselves more time to pray. Maybe wake up in the morning. Maybe make sure that there's a time in the day when we establish that time of prayer. And maybe you also have to remember when you do not pray that you should, the way you should, that Christ can cover for us. Christ, in fact, said to Peter, Peter, I pray for you so that your faith will not fail. I pray for you. So we have somebody that intercedes for you and for me. And Christ is up in heaven and he still continues to pray. So even if our prayers are not perfect, he's still 
want to use me and you. We are still used as a church, as a covenant community here at Hillside, as individuals being part of a family, of groups, of support. He calls us and he invites us to pray and to join him, to have hope that he is not abandoning us, but he is using us. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus and for his example, for his calling for us to wake up and go, to be part of his ministry. We are so broken like the disciples. We often fail. We do our best, and yet it is not enough many times. We fail. And we would like to pray at least an hour to stay and to be awake, to watch and to pray, to be part of that inner circle of people that love you and love ministry. So continue to bless our church and bless our lives with the discipline of prayer. Because we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus, our teacher and master who taught us how to pray. In his name we pray. Amen.